down to verse 14. Is that right? That's where we're going today is verse 14. Every book, uh, every chapter is so chocked full of power and breakthrough and revelation and insight uh, that it's, you know, it's just, it's easy to linger and it's hard to know when not to. You ever had that problem? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention. This is the NIV, New International Version. Therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. So, we have this great proclamation of who Jesus is and, and the power of the gospel and, and, uh, and what he's done for us in chapter 1. He starts chapter 2. Therefore, we must not drift away. And, and the emphasis that he's, that he's going to draw, and we haven't got to it really very well yet at all, is that he's, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's showing us that, that the law was a foreshadowing of the good things to come. That the law was not the essence, the law was not the image, the law was not the fullness, the law was a shadow of the image, the sh- a shadow of the fullness, a shadow of Christ. The fact is, Christ is hidden in the law, and he's hidden in the Torah. He's hidden in the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And so this is what he's saying to us. He's saying, and he's saying this to the Hebrew uh, uh, people. The, 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 the receivers of Hebrews were converted Jewish people. So these are Jewish converts. These are, these are people that have come to know Jesus as the Messiah, and he's exhorting them. And he's going to exhort them throughout the book of Hebrews, essentially, to not return to the law. Don't return to the law. The law was good. The law is holy. He tells us in Romans, the law is holy. We're going to get to some of that probably as we go through. But the law is good. The law is holy. But don't return to the law. Don't go back to the law as your approach to God or your measure of self-righteousness. So be careful. Pay close attention that we don't drift away from the good news. Now I want to jump down to verse 14, uh, because uh, in verse 14, uh, he talks a little bit about being delivered from the power of death, and uh, that's wrapped up in the law as well, so that's where we want to go today. We want to focus in on this little section, uh, and that will polish off chapter 2 of Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil or Satan, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. I want to read it again, then we'll dive in as deep as we can this morning. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in, his, in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. So we know that there's a couple things hidden right here is that we know that, that when he took upon himself humanity, when Jesus came and become, became flesh, 
uh, in our midst. We know that taking on, hu- his hu- in, 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 taking on humanity was that which through death became his access in the Sheol. And so it was through death that he was able to enter into Sheol. And Jesus tells us about Sheol. Sheol was in the center of the earth. Another word for it in the Bible is Hades. This is where the righteous dead and the wicked dead were both held because Satan held until this time the power of death. And so... We know that death would have been his entrance, and, and uh, we could get into a really good shout right here. We could, we could work ourselves up here, you know, that Jesus, you know, he just went down there into, into the grave and to Sheol and to Hades, and he demanded the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and Satan trembled, and he shook, and, and, uh, and then he handed him the keys. But today I want to talk a little bit, and that would be cool, and that would be all right too, yeah? I like shouting about that. Uh, but today I want to talk a little bit about how he did that, uh, how he did that, what he actually did, what he accomplished when he went into the grave, uh, what actually was transpiring, and therefore through that that he did, through that methodology, how he actually freed us who had been held captive. We had been slaves essentially to fear and slaves to essentially the fear of death all of our lives, and the Jewish people likewise. Now, he's writing to Jewish people, and so he's exhorting them, don't go back to Moses, don't go back to the law, stay true to the message you've heard, the message in Christ, and, these, and, then, and then we get to this, and he's telling us that it's Jesus who's delivered us from the fear of death, and Satan has been the Lord over death. He's been the prince over death. He's held the power of death. And Jesus has defeated him. And we, remember this is written about AD 64, we, Jewish people, we were held in this spell, this bondage of the fear of death all of our lives. How could the Jewish people be held in the fear of death when the Jewish people had the covenants? They had the covenant with God. They, they, if, if, anybody, if anybody should have been free from the fear of death, you would think it would be the Jewish people. The Jewish people had Moses. The Jewish people had the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people had the temple. They had the tabernacle. They had sacrifices. They had all of these prescriptions so that they would not be under the fear of death. So now he, but he's now telling us that even though they had all of that, and he's, he's preaching, essentially, he's declaring, he's writing to Jewish converts, even though they had all of that, they still were held in bondage to the fear of death. And you might wonder, how, how could that be? He, he's, he's writing to, to these people, and yet he's saying, and, and he'll say this throughout the book of Hebrews, that the law could not deliver the Jewish people from the fear of death. The fear of death, the fear of hell fire, the fear of Hades, the fear of Sheol, the fear of separation from God, the fear of judgment, the fear of being judged unrighteous. Much of the New Testament writings are actually Paul 
trying to show us that, that our assurance is actually in Jesus and that we have no assurance in Moses. We have no assurance of salvation or deliverance or deliverance from the power of the enemy through keeping the law. Think about the Jewish people. It was a, it was a terrifying thing for them to know that no matter how hard a person tried, they would be judged and somehow potentially miss salvation. We're told in the book of Hebrews a little bit further on that these sacrifices that that they were performing and them working hard to keep the law couldn't bring peace to the inner man that it could not remove sin consciousness from the heart, that, that even the moment the sacrifice was given and they walked away, or the moment they walked out the prescription of what Moses had given them, or the moment they had felt that they had somehow done well and, and kept the commandments, still in that moment, their heart was vulnerable to judgment and condemnation because the law could not remove the witness, the stain of guilt within. So this was a terrifying thing for them. Still terrifying today. Many today are still relying upon their works before God to know if they have favor with God, to know if they have acceptance with God, to know if they have any spiritual power whatsoever, right? Paul, Paul addresses this in Galatians 3, who has bewitched you that you would return to the law? Do you think God is doing signs and wonders and working miracles in your midst? Because of your perfection, because you've returned to the law, because of the works of, of, of doing good, not a chance. That isn't why God's doing miracles in your midst. But, but many are relying upon works, and, and really I think that we have a lot of this in the church today. We have a lot of this in the modern New Testament church today because we don't use the law just to make our children or make others aware of their sinful nature, but we continue to use the law to drive one another to the cross or to drive one another to the Lord or to evaluate our own spirituality before the Lord. Anybody guilty of that? As long as a person relies upon their holiness according to the law, then they're actually opening the door for the enemy to sabotage, to overpower, to instill, to incite, to inflict, to afflict their heart with fear, with condemnation, with inferiority, with worry about relationship, 
with distance in relationship, and in doing so, quelling, quenching the grace of God, the power of God, the goodness of God through their lives. That could be with any person. But you would think, you would think that if a person is trying to earn their way to God, trying to be moral, by the way, I like to work with those people. I, I, anybody, anybody know what I mean? I, I actually like to work with or to, to do business with people who are trying to earn their way to God. That's actually why it's pretty safe in Thailand because those people are trying to earn their salvation, Right? So, I mean, there's not a lot of theft going on, and it's kind of interesting because those folks have got to earn their salvation. And so when you're around people that have to earn their salvation, they're working pretty hard to measure up, right? And so it's a pretty interesting situation uh, with people like that because uh, on the outside, they've got a lot of moral works going on where they're working hard to please God or to measure up, even though, the in, though on the inside they might have a lot of wrestling or struggle or trouble or the witness of uncleanness on the inside. But they're working pretty hard to, to stifle it, you know, and I, I call it that white-knuckling their way through some kind of self, self-righteousness. You ever done that yourself? You would think, though, that a person trying to be moral, trying to do good, trying to satisfy God in their good deeds would be inwardly happy with themselves, content, pleased, far from condemnation as they stack up their good deeds, as they kind of measure themselves against others. But the Bible says the opposite. It is literally impossible. The man who judges himself by his good works or his lack of bad is fair game to condemnation and fear. And that man, that woman, that person will never have peace within. Peace only comes through the application of what Jesus has done for us in his sacrifice. How many of you found that to be true? So Paul is pointing out that Satan ruled over people with the fear of death, that Satan used the holiness of God and the holiness of law to impart, to instill fear within the heart of man. The law shows me my wretchedness. The law shows me I don't measure up. The law shows me I can't measure up. The law shows me I'm disqualified. The law condemns me because it shows me a wretched condition. Even if on the outside I'm doing really good, the law is like the giant x-ray machine of God, and it will show what's broken on the inside. Even if on the outside you think I'm doing good, on the inside I know I've had a wrong thought about that woman. I know I've had a wrong thought about your stuff. I know I've had a wrong thought about that person that I'm mad at. And Jesus in Matthew 5 says the law is not just what's written in the Ten Commandments, the ten that were written on stone. The law actually goes deeper. That's why, that's why we can't get free from that sense of condemnation just by doing good on the outside, because when the law says don't commit adultery, it actually says don't even desire to do so in your heart. When the law says don't murder, it literally says in the heart, don't even hate your brother. 
when the law says don't covet, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean covet unto theft. It means don't even desire that which belongs to another. So the law touches something deeper within. Can you say amen? Galatians 3.22, the Scripture has set, shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Romans 3.19, we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for the law, for by the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we're talking about specifically the Ten Commandments. The, the function of the law is to stop our mouth, to stop us from justifying ourselves and saying, there's plenty of people worse than me. I'm not all that bad of a person. Really, really. I mean, there's other people that are doing other things that are much worse. No, the law stops the mouth of justification and leaves the whole world, not just the Jews, but the whole world guilty before God. The law awakens sin within. It not only shows us sin, but it awakens sin within. See, the problem with us is not just the activity of sin. It's, it's the core, the core of separation from God. That's the problem with us, and that problem is really pride, and it's rebellion, and it's disobedience. And at the core, the nature within, the unregenerate nature, the old nature, the sinful nature that Paul refers to, that the law would address, that the law would point out, doesn't want to be told what to do. Guess what the law does? The law tells you what to do. So when the law comes, when you hear the law, even when you hear inwardly the law, the law awakens rebellion within you, pride within you, disobedience within you. One of the wolf children was a great example of this, and I won't tell you which one. We have four, and you'll have to guess. But this was such an interesting, uh, we went through such an interesting period with with one of the wolf children that uh, we discovered, we discovered that, the rebellion to the law was so deep that all we had to do was tell this particular child to do the opposite of what they needed to do to get them to do exactly what they should do. This is kind of what Paul is saying in, in, in Romans chapter 7. He says, I wouldn't have known the law until I heard the law. But then when the law said, don't covet... Sin revived in my members, and I wanted to covet everything I could see. We would tell this child, this child would be sitting in their high chair, and this child would not be eating their food. And we would be coaxing the child to eat their food. And then we would say, don't eat your food. Can you guess what the child would begin to do? I mean, this became, this became a lesson in reverse psychology. This, I mean, this was like the craziest thing ever. Uh, and uh, we, would, uh, we would experiment with this to great lengths, right? Don't go to the bathroom. 
Don't put on your clothes. Don't clean your room. I mean, this was, it was like crazy. I mean, we could just suggest anything. And anything we suggested, the child would do exactly the opposite, and we would get exactly what we needed done accomplished. A bit hilarious, but how do we deliver this child out of this, right? I think that's what, you know, God's watching us and saying, how do I deliver this child out of this? Because that's what's happening on the inside of us. The Bible says the law was a schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, to bring us to Christ so that we would be justified by faith. The law actually is a tutor. It's a schoolmaster. We are under the law, every one of us, until we come to Christ. But Christ is the end of the law to all who believe, Romans chapter 10, verse 4. The day you believe, the day you come to Christ, you're delivered out from under the law into this romantic relationship with the living King of kings and the Lord of lords who comes to dwell in your heart, who comes to place his spirit within you, who comes to write the laws of God within you to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. I mean, believe that. The laws of God. Uh, The laws of God, how, how did he... How did he overcome this? Because demons want to visit sin and wrong and error with fear and condemnation. You ever had that happen to you? Demons are legalists. They know the law really well. They run around watching you. If you're law-oriented instead of Christ-oriented, if you're law-oriented, if you're still under the law but you're on this side of salvation, Romans 10.4 says Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. If you're law-oriented, then you've opened yourself up to a ministry of the demonic realm, and you're wondering, what is wrong with me? Why is this happening? And it's because you're, you're continuing to immerse yourself in the law, judge yourself according to the law, condemn yourself according to the law, instead of hide yourself in the righteousness that is yours in Christ. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. How did he fulfill this? How did he fulfill this that he's declared? It says here in Hebrews 2.14 that he delivered us from the devil, from Satan. He delivered us from him who held the power of death and held us in slavery to fear all of our lives. How did he do it? He did it by nailing the Ten Commandments, to the tree. It's an amazing thing. Jesus satisfied the claims of the law. When Jesus satisfied the claims of the law, the demands of the law, he did it for you, and he did it for me. 
Jesus wasn't just living this perfect life so he could have this perfect life. He wasn't just living this perfect life because he was righteous and cool and he just didn't want to sin and he wasn't going to sin. He was a representative fountainhead of a brand new creation of humans who would follow after him by faith. And him living that perfect life was him fulfilling the desires of God, the decrees of God, the requirements of God on our behalf so that when he was put to death, the fulfillment of those laws was then given to all who would place their trust in him. So it says in Colossians 2 that when they nailed him to the tree, the perfect one, those laws were nailed to the tree with him because he fully fulfilled them on our behalf. Colossians chapter 2. This is how he set us free. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. Not in the law. Not in Moses. In him, you were circumcised with the circumcision not performed by hands. Your whole self... Your carnal nature that was ruled by the flesh was put away, put off, cast aside when you were circumcised with Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed powers and authorities. Having disarmed powers and authorities. The power, the authority that ruled over man, that ruled over people, that ruled over the Jewish people, even though they had the law, that ruled over the Gentile people, having a form of the law in their own hearts. He disarmed those powers and authorities, making an open, a public spectacle, spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. In his life, he satisfied the claims of the law. In his death, he satisfied the penalty for us falling short of the law. And in satisfying the righteousness of God for every man, he shut the mouth of Satan. He shut the mouth of the accuser. Have you had the accuser visit you? You know what? If he has teeth, go ahead and kick him in the teeth. Zach, you want to come up and help me? Uh, Bill, maybe come up and help me. A couple of you come up and help me. I've got, I've got 12 nails in case you bend one. Because uh, this is oak. The cross is oak. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we want to nail whoever's best with a hammer. We want to nail those, uh, what's the first one? No other gods, have no other gods. No, he wasn't saying that you can have other gods. He was just saying, you're going to mess up sometimes, so I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill this one for you. So we're going to nail, just, yeah, just somewhere there. Awesome. Whoa, we're losing thumbtacks. Have no graven image. Don't bow down to any other image. Don't make an image. Uh-oh, we've got to back you up. Hang on. Going over here. All right, back him up. 
Have no graven image. Have no idols. Don't dangle anything over God. What's number three? Have no vain use of God's name. Now, sometimes you mess up on that one. And sometimes you've blown it on that one. But Jesus said, I'll fulfill that one for you as well. What's number four? Keep the Sabbath day holy. All right, we certainly messed up on that one a lot of times. Wow. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your parents. Okay, honor your parents. We might mess up on that one. So Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill that one for you. Every one of you that have fallen short. Number six is no killing. Thou shalt not commit murder. And Jesus says that means don't even have hatred. Number seven, don't commit adultery. And Jesus says don't look upon another with desire to have them. And so if you mess up on that one, Father says, I got you covered in Jesus. No stealing. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. And I know that only belongs to, that only applies to most of us in the room. Messed up on that one. Good time to giggle. Uh, and uh, no lying. Don't bear false witness. Never say anything that is not true. Anybody ever blown it on that one? The Lord has fulfilled that one for us. Doesn't mean that these are not relevant. It doesn't mean they're not holy. It just means he's got you covered. No coveting. Do not covet what belongs to someone else. I want the band to come help us close. Let's stand this morning. Aren't you glad he's got you covered? Aren't you glad that he has placed within you the seed of righteousness, the seed of a new creation? Right up until you come to Christ, right up until you came to Christ, you were under the jurisdiction of the law. From that moment on, and and the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, this is Paul again writing, he says that you were actually like married to the law. You couldn't get away from it. You were married to the law. There was no way to get away from this marriage to the law. The law would be holding your hand everywhere you went, and it would be bearing witness against you every time you blew it. And every time you blew it, the enemy would be there with the fear of death, the fear of judgment, the fear of not measuring up. You were married to the law. Paul says now you are married to Jesus. You are married to him who has fulfilled the law for you, and he has put his Holy Spirit in you, and he has you covered. He has you covered. And now we serve, Father, in the newness of the Spirit. Verse 4, chapter 7 of Romans. My brethren, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined, married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. While we were alive in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit 
and not in the oldness of the letter. This is why I, I really think, and heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would, all across this auditorium. This is why I think that the Holy Spirit wants you to be so intimacy-focused. This morning, our worship went a little longer than normal. But my prayer is that during such a time, you opened your heart to hear the voice of the Lord. See, now that you've come to Jesus, now that you've come to Jesus, you are connected to God in the newness of spirit. You're not connected by fulfilling these laws. You're not connected by doing good. You're not connected by measuring up through your own works. You're not connected by some kind of righteousness that you perform. You are connected with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the newness of the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And what God wants now is that you would learn to hear His voice, that you would learn to follow His coaching voice on the inside. See, He doesn't want you just thinking about, I can't do those things. He has got a world of grace for you. He has got a leading for you that will lead you, that will coach you, that will guide you as you learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. You learn to hear Him who leads you into all good things. And that's His desire for you. So Father, that's what we welcome today. We welcome the newness of the Spirit. We welcome the joy of the Spirit. We welcome the grace of the Spirit. We welcome the witness of Jesus on the inside. The fact is, as we close this morning, if you've got any doubt in your heart, I'm going to have the prayer team come forward as we close. And If you have any doubt in your heart of your adoption, into this grace of your position of a son, a daughter of God, not only forgiven, but covered by Jesus, delivered from living under fear and the fear of measuring up, delivered into a new life of grace. If you have any doubt whatsoever, I want you to come as we close. Others of you, if you've just been overthinking, overthinking, caught up, in self-evaluation and judgment, condemnation, negativity, measuring yourself too much according to your works, missing out on the romance of Jesus, the friendship of His voice on the inside. I want you to respond. I want you to come. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work within you. Allow the Holy Spirit set you at at liberty. Lord, we just agree right now that condemnation is dismissed off of your people. The ministry of fear, the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation, the heaviness of not measuring up is dismissed off of your people, Lord. We agree the coaching of the Holy Spirit is loosed in this place and loosed in our hearts. You lead us into righteousness. You lead us into wisdom. You lead us into communion with Father. That you cover us graciously. 
Thank you that our sins are forgiven. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we live a new life. That we live a new life. We have total access to you. We have communion with you. We have a unity with you. We rejoice in it today. In Jesus' name. Let's worship as we close this morning.